Welcome to Daybreak Crypto. So today, me and Miguel, or Master Splinter, as he may be known to others, um, we'll be talking about the war in the time of crypto. Um, and this article kind of focused on what's happening in both Ukraine and Russia, and kind of how cryptocurrency is playing a role um, in this, this situation where sanctions and all these different nations are trying to cut off financial resources to Russia, um, and Russia's trying to cut off resources to Ukraine. And now we have this digital currency aspect that allows both sides to kind of circumvent sanctions by either NATO or by Russia to Ukraine. And so it just presents a really unique kind of use case for cryptocurrency. And the use case I think a lot of people always envisioned, which is the freedom to transfer your money and use your money as you please um, and not subject to the restrictions of any government, government or organization. So you took some great notes. I read them this morning, loved them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what this article is about and kind of why it's important or why it matters to us? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the biggest thing for me is this is the first real stress test in real world adoption and use cases for crypto. I mean, we've seen obviously in times of peace, it's a lot easier to say, oh, this is going well, this is holding up, this is doing exactly what we think it's going to do. In times of war, everything is chaos. Um, there's no real set plan. You're trying to figure out the best option because there isn't typically a good option. There's just the best option that's available. And, you know, you're trying to, I mean, in terms of both the Ukraine and Russian citizens, all they're trying to do is not lose all of the wealth well, along with their lives that, you know, they've had been building the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I mean, we'll get into it, but basically I'm going to show the Ukraine arguments, um, you know, what they're using crypto for. And then the Russian side and what the U.S. is trying to ask, you know, different crypto and blockchain companies and exchanges to do and then kind of wrap it up. So first off in Ukraine, um, obviously some Ukrainians are escaping the country and trying to take their crypto with them in hopes of turning it back into fiat once they're safe. And then others are more keen on storing their wealth as Ukraine's economy breaks down. I'm not sure whether you heard, but the central bank in Ukraine suspended electronic cash transfers and blocked Ukraine citizens from withdrawing any foreign currency, which is kind of the first step of the traditional markets breaking down when, you know, they have what's called a bank run and too many people are trying to pull out too much cash at once. And, you know, the bank might be over leveraged or, you know, not have one to one backing on what they actually say they do. <laughs> funny, funny enough, kind of similar to USDT, <laughs> but um, trading on the Ukrainian crypto platform Kuna reached its highest level, uh, I think ever, or at least since May 2021 this past Friday, when it saw almost four to five times the daily volume that it typically has. And I mean, so the, there's so many different ways to look at Ukraine using crypto, but one of the biggest issues at the moment is what's needed to use crypto, meaning stable internet connection, wallet on a working device that has battery and stable enough markets to buy in. I mean, if you saw on Twitter lately, Elon Musk just donated a bunch of Starlinks. Uh, once a Ukrainian, you know, the prime minister, or the president or someone asked, and he had him there in a day uh, to help out with the Wi-Fi, you know, because Russia is doing bombings and strikes on tele telecommunications towers and 
everything just trying to make life more difficult than it already is. And I mean, even the wealthy Ukrainians are having trouble buying Tether at the moment. So converting other assets into crypto is not as easy as it should be, or like how we think in America, how easy it is, <laughs> because we all have mostly stable internet connections and can go buy a device at the gas station and yada, yada, right. yada. But yeah, I mean, it's the thing that got me reading this article was more this quote right here. It says, Ukrainians first need to unfreeze their assets, then transfer them into a digital currency then manage to get out of the country safely and then hope it hasn't devalued too much by the time they arrive. And I mean, that yeah. all seems super simple here in America, but when there's bombings and places aren't open and nobody's showing up to work and, you know, the banks are cutting their, you know, uh, yeah. tasks in half, like it's, it's a lot more, hard work than we imagine, especially if they didn't have a crypto wallet set up in the first place. Right. What do you think? And it's, <clears throat> what I think is interesting as well is, is that kind of conundrum of the volatility of crypto, but then the volatility of, like you were mentioning, their own currency right now because of the instability in their central banks. And just anytime there's a war, you, you run the risk that, you know, one of the countries could be taken over and their currency could be devalued down to nothing. Um, sometimes you run into situations where you have hyperinflation um, to the point where your money is so inflated that it's not even worth anything. So mm -hmm. there's there's kind of, you know, volatility no matter how you look at it. So I do find it a little interesting that there, that some people may be concerned that they'll lose too much value. I think there's far less chance that you'll lose value holding something like Bitcoin over the next, let's say, couple weeks or month um, than holding a currency in a country that's currently facing war. Now that's pure speculation, um, but but to me, I, I feel like the risk reward is not worth risking staying in your current currency when you have this option of Bitcoin. Um, well, yeah, and that's exactly it. It's like who who's who's thinking that it's you know not safe to do that and they'll lose too much. I think those are the editors and the article writers because I think that if you're in you know a war torn area. And you have an opportunity to put, you know, however much money you have in BTC on your cold wallet and take that with you. I think that's a lot better option than just trusting that everything is going to work itself out. Another good quote is like, you know, if people are worried about volatility, what other options do they have? Are they going to buy a house? Are they going to buy some property? Like there's and no, there's no option. Exactly. And that's kind of how I feel as well. It's, it's the the risk reward doesn't seem worth not going to crypto. I mean, I just feel like there's so much more risk with so little reward by holding your, your current fiat in, in a country like Ukraine right now versus holding something like, you know, Bitcoin that at least you have control of. I mean, if you're holding fiat from any of the banks right now in Ukraine, it could be frozen. It could be taken from you. It could be devalued. Um, you know, there's so many different things that could happen that are out of your control. At least with Bitcoin, it's a little more global at this point. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention before we move on to kind of the Russia side of things is I was very shocked to read that Ukraine actually ranks fourth in the world in terms of crypto adoption. And that's according to chain analysis. Um, so that that's pretty shocking to me. I, I guess I did not expect Ukraine to be one of the, the leaders in an adoption when it comes to to crypto. Um, although I know Russia has been, you know, 
slowly building up their presence through mining um, and stuff like that. But Ukraine was not one I was aware of. So that was uh, something that, one, surprised me, but two, shows that they do have some experience with cryptocurrency. So there's probably quite a few people who understand uh, how to use it or how to get a wallet set up and move funds around, which is great for Ukrainians. Um, if, if, if a country is going to be invaded, at least it's one that has some, you know, experience with crypto and has hopefully a way to utilize that to circumvent Russia's kind of attacks and, and attempts to block them from moving currency around or really any asset. Yeah. I mean, Ukraine, same, same with me. I didn't know that they were so progressive in the crypto industry. I mean, it was kind of like learning that Kazakhstan had the third largest Bitcoin mining outfit a couple of weeks ago when we wrote that article. But, um, and then, yeah, I mean, the fact that they legal it, it makes it so much easier to have a working knowledge once you're thrown into an unknown situation. Like if they had no idea what crypto was, they wouldn't be able to learn most likely as quick and accurately just because of the stress of war and what's going on around yes. them. So, I mean, that helps tremendously. Like you said, people are setting up wallets. They've got QR codes. They're blasting them across social media to get donations and everything, which is great. Um, yep. which, yeah, it's to your point. Um, and I, I just want to say this to anyone who hears this or is listening. If you have the ability, I highly recommend donating to uh, Ukraine, whether that be through crypto or whatever way you're able to. Um, I actually have one person I know who's currently in Ukraine. <clears throat> They've been communicating through some messaging services, and it's definitely a, a pretty wild scene there. Um, he's seriously fearing for his life, and they're not asking for money as much as they're just asking for help. They want the word spread that, you know, Russia is basically providing propaganda to their citizens, and they just want the world to know that Ukraine, you know, is going to fight. But what's interesting is they need money. So they don't, they're not asking for it, but they need it. So that's just my one plug is if you can send or try to donate. Um, and if you disagree with my political stance on it, that's fine. You don't have to. I'm not saying it's required, but I know they could use it right now. And like I said, I personally know someone. So it is important to me just to say this. But yeah. with that, I'll let you move on to kind of Russia's side of things. Right. No. And I double that donation uh, part of it, too. I actually have a little note here that, you know, if you're going to donate to Ukrainian groups, definitely good on you. But just always make sure to double check the address and the account asking for it Super because important. we're going to have, you know, stories the next week or month about malicious actors running scams. And yep. it's it's unbelievable that people would think right now is an opportunity to do that. But. Those it are just isn't the type of people that are in the world. I was about to say, if there's if there's financial incentive, people there's always going to be someone willing to take advantage of it, no matter how bad it seems, or no matter how many people it hurts. That's just unfortunately exactly. the the greed that comes with being a human. Exactly. So definitely donate if you want to. Just always make sure to double checks. We want to make sure yeah. that your money is getting to where you want it to go. And and, uh, and one more thing, we're we're not trying to pretend like Ukraine's been model citizens, all right? But they do need help, and this is there's a lot of people who have nothing to do with going on in the political side of things that are causing this war. So, just want to make that clear. We understand that they've Ukraine's had some you know things in the past that I disagree with, but now is not the time to nitpick. Exactly. 
Exactly. All right. On to the Russian side of things. Um, so even before Russia's invasion into Ukraine, the U.S. government was worried about how crypto could dull the impact of economic sanctions it was planning. Iran is really the only country to meaningfully get around trade embargoes in the past by using Bitcoin mining and other crypto related activities. But since the beginning of the crisis, multiple countries have hit Russia with heavy sanctions and the worry is growing that they could be circumventing these sanctions and moving money undetected. Anybody really in the crypto scene knows that they're not really moving money undetected. They could be circumventing some sanctions, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Russia has been developing a digital ruble for the last couple of years. I think it's still a few years from daylight, but it's recently moved up to, like Max said earlier, the third largest Bitcoin miner. And while it's a bigger player on the crypto scene, that is why you see U.S. lawmakers and, you know, certain people asking exchanges to freeze all Russian accounts, not, you know, accounts they know belong to certain people, just a blanket ban on all Russian accounts. And this is actually the second thing that made me want to talk about this article, because this strikes at the heart of the argument of crypto to me. I mean, Kraken and other exchanges have publicly stated they wouldn't be freezing all of the accounts without a legal requirement to do so. They did add that while it hasn't happened yet, it definitely could happen soon. So to prepare for it. But I mean, while I understand stopping the inflow of money that keeps Russia from evading further and causing more damage or distress, I also understand equally that blocking every Russian account on an exchange is not typically the right answer and it's just going to make the lives of innocent russian citizens more difficult when they try to escape or buy anything because i mean russia's russia's stock market is what the moex and they've lost 33 percent of their total value in the last six days they wiped out 10 years of gains on the day that they invaded ukraine and that's I actually mean, shocking it's insane and i don't know like i don't know what the right move is here because obviously the pressure of sanctions on a country is meant to unite the people to kind of overthrow the government or put enough pressure on them to change their course. But I personally, and I don't want to get too into this part in particular, but I don't see Putin changing. And no matter how pissed the Russian citizens get, I don't see Putin giving in. They've lost too much money for the inner circle at this point. And there's too many unknowns for me to kind of go each way. So I guess... Yeah. We always err on the side of safety in the United States and over, you know, over uh, bearing laws and then yeah. ease them back once we figure shit out. So I guess I understand them asking to ban all Russian accounts because it's like, you know, you don't know where they're going. But it also kills me because if I was a Russian citizen, that's your last resource almost right if you're unless you're buying escape, minerals right maybe you're trying to escape the country maybe you're, you're ukrainian and live in russia and really feel like you need to get out of there yeah. um you're probably going to get your account banned so i agree with you on that i don't think it's necessarily a good idea especially because a lot of people probably have cryptocurrency for this exact reason they probably mm -hmm. feared at some point and maybe they didn't think it'd be russia but they thought maybe at some point they'd be invaded or would need a way to be able to move their money, move their assets safely without needing the government. So these are, you know, even if you prepared for this now, you might be in a situation where you have no choice and no say in how to get your money or when you're going to get your money. Um, and then another thing I want to bring up, which is interesting, is that the other day I saw that two billionaires from Russia um, came out and publicly 
basically said they were anti-war and wanted to stop the war, which to me is an incredibly big statement. Because, um, and to, to your point, that their exchange lost 10 years of gains, you said, well, that's going to hit the people with the biggest bags the hardest, which are the billionaires. So now that they see their value and their money going down and, and they're losing, now they have incentive to, to step up and say, hey, this isn't the answer. And that, that's huge because the billionaires in Russia, you know, are kind of like a tight circle. Uh, they all help each other out. It's kind of like an old, an old boys club. Um, so if Putin starts to get pushback from all these billionaires, he, it may not change his mind because, like you said, he's a very, very stubborn guy. Um, but it's probably our best shot is getting people within his own country to tell him this is not good for Russia, um, especially the richest and most influential people in the country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, very interesting concept of you have this this leader who has wants to take over another country and have all this power. And then you have these regular citizens and now billionaires who are like, that's that's first off, we disagree with that. But secondly, you're you're hurting us financially. And that's when people start to care. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's this one guy that keeps popping up. I forget the name of the company, but it has something to do with oil and gas. And he's lost like 70% of his net worth in a week and a half. Yeah. And I'm and sure I mean, his net worth charged. right now is like $8 billion. So that would mean that, you know, he had $30 billion or so, which is fucking nuts. Yeah. But yeah. That's a whole um, different conversation about how excessive that wealth is, but still. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up, while this isn't the first time people have turned to crypto during international conflict, it is the first time crypto seems to be prevalent and possibly helping both sides in some way. Uh, we have no idea whether crypto will ultimately help or hurt during conflict and war. People fleeing could find unique use cases for crypto, but they need to know how to use it first. And while crypto might hypothetically make it easier to sidestep sanctions, countries have been evading sanctions since they were first introduced. So that's not really a new concept and not really a detractor on the pro-crypto argument side but um the last paragraph was great so i'm just gonna just say it word for word whether it's good or bad in wartime crypto is doing what its proponents say it does giving people a way to work outside of traditional financial institutions and there's no time no sign that will change anytime soon yeah so i mean i think that sums it up pretty well yeah that is an awesome quote actually because I think we are seeing exactly what crypto can be used for. And like you said, it's, it's to assist people who may not have access to a, a, a financial system, a traditional one, whether that be because they're in a country that doesn't have the money to support it um, or or they're just in a country like Ukraine that's war-torn um, and don't have access. So love to see it, love to see use cases for crypto beyond you know what people think, which is always something dark and nefarious. So. This is this is a cool cool way to see how it can really help people in need. But with that, I think we'll wrap up our show today. So that's a another another episode of Daybreak in the Books. Um, thanks for joining me today, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Oh yeah, and we're planning on uh, being back on calling pretty much here entirely as uh, we got word that they might be adding the feed into Apple and Spotify. So you are gonna. Be back to catching us here every morning for 15 to 20 minutes on everything crypto. Awesome. Cool. All right. right. Later, well, I'll bro. see you soon. And thanks for joining us on Daybreak Crypto.